House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 3, the second of his name. We're day late because we are out of town. Well, three episodes, three time jumps. There were a lot of time jumps. I hope this isn't an indication of more to come, but this was my biggest criticism of the final season of Game of Thrones, is it was incredibly rushed. They did not take the time to do the storytelling the way that it deserved, the way the characters deserved. Um, and it was bad. Some things you cannot rush, and they did some of that here. I don't know how consequential some of this will be today, but there's a couple different things where I, I disagree with their evaluation of time and the execution of, of the episode. Yeah. Um, having read the book, I think they have to do it this way. I think it's only going to be for the first season. But I could be wrong. That's that's what I'm predicting. Okay. I think the first season is basically a 10-episode first episode. The creators of Game of Thrones, I don't think they realized the position it was going to put them in of how big of a hit. Like, it's literally one of the best shows, if not the best show of all time, and what happened. It was a worldwide phenomenon. And I don't think they were prepared for the sustained level of fame and expectation, especially when they lost source material. And I get that. They kind of walked into it. I mean, but at the same time, eh, kind of should have known better. It was a pretty good story. Everybody going into this now knows. They know the potential. They know. So the creators, we already know that Miguel is leaving after this first season. And that's fine as long as they have top-notch people on this and staying on it. But this could be another eight seasons, eight years long. Well, I mean, it was even longer than, than eight for Game of Thrones because they, they sometimes took two years to pull out a season. You got to be prepared for that. Well, I will admit to being a little surprised that the triarchy thing was apparently resolved in a single episode. I thought that was going to be uh, the action of the season. <laughs> and the crab feeder was killed. So that, that's gripe number one for me, is we have this crab feeder a guy that's being set up, and he's a prince, and they call him prince a couple different times in this episode. So he's not just some random guy. There's consequences of who this man is. And he got, he got built up the first two episodes. This is a really big deal, enough for both Lord Corliss and for Damon to go fight. And... So that was fast. Yeah, so it served more as... It was more a, about a, a, bringing them together. Right, it, it was more of a plot piece to move the chess around, the chess pieces around rather than an actual important part of the story, it seems. This is serving as a piece to bring together Corliss Valerian and Damon. Right, so the whole triarchy thing seemed like more set up than a story in itself. So that was resolved, and not only was it resolved, but it was just kind of dumb, like... Yeah. The, the fight scene, they, they couldn't get to these crab feeder people because they were in the caves, but it's never mentioned like whether they could starve them out or not, and why couldn't they starve them out? Because the dragons would presumably be able to take out the triarchy's ships. Because they have multiple dragons there. Right. So, yeah, we'll get to that. Let's not get there yet now. Let's just do our complaining first, and then we'll get to, <laughs> to the other stuff. But then, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't love the action. I didn't like the way it resolved. It was it all just kind of yeah. It was kind of silly and stupid. It so, was not not as stupid as the Dothraki running into the night to fight an army of White Walkers, but still <laughs> kind of dumb. <laughs> but th this is now great number two for me. Is 
whatever setup they did this episode of the crab feeder and his guys and all of that and how somehow Corliss and Damon with multiple dragons are losing. I just don't understand because Damon must be awful at dragon fighting and all of that, like just horrible. Because how the heck did the original Targaryens of three dragons conquer all of Westeros, including every type of landscape and topography that is gonna be involved, and yet some small crab feeder army in some caves by the ocean can outwit them. Like, none of that adds up. Well, to be fair, Aegon and his sisters could not conquer Dorne, and they use kind of a similar type strategy, I guess. But I guess it's those caves. <laughs> I don't um, know. But like, no, it just doesn't add up No, they me. didn't sell it. They didn't give a strong enough explanation for why two dragons and the strongest navy in Westeros can't handle these guys. And it gave us that two-year time jump. So the, the battle, the, the war's been going on for two years, and it's been slowly getting worse for Damon and Corlys. And it's just, yeah, the, the explanation, the rush of it didn't fully work out. Yeah, I didn't buy that at all. It felt kind of insulting as a viewer, the way that they kind of made it that they're losing, because that's something that was rushed of why are they losing? Walk us through that a little bit of like what major casualties or errors in judgment for a battle plan or like what happened here? Like it didn't add up for me. And then <laughs> uh, how quickly it was resolved. Right. Yeah. All Damon needed was a little motivation. And he's like, they said like, oh, who's going to go sacrifice themselves? Like, that's all they needed to draw them out of their caves is one person to go sacrifice themselves. Well, I don't think just any old person. I think they all knew who Damon was and and. Damon was the right carrot to dangle, and I think he knew that, but... <laughs> and it was bordering a little bit on Damon's superpower fighting. Like, they, they came back in, but after he killed, like, five guys in a row, I was like, oh, come on. Even the Hound struggled with three people, you know, in the bar scene or whatever. It's like, one thing about Game of Thrones is you don't really have these superpower fighters, and we've already seen that Damon's not even as good as Kristen. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know, so it was bordering a little bit on absurd, but... I will say here, though, he probably had a lot of adrenaline with this. Yeah. Well, I guess the motivation, it kind of reminded me of when Jorah saw Danny in the fighting pit, and then he got his superpowers and ran through like eight people. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) I mean, it's the grandma lifting up the the car. Yeah, uh, right. To save the the grandkid. But it just... I could buy a little bit of that. I I, I could kind of handle that, because eventually he did get struck with some arrows and, and that, but... Yeah. It just could have been done a lot better, especially because it's our first real action scene. Um, so, all right, well, there's that. And then as far as the actual story and the plot, I, I did like uh, scenes with King Viserys. I think we're we're seeing an Emmy nomination coming up with this guy. He's got some facial expressions that I really appreciate that that's got to be actor interpretation because some stuff I don't think you can direct or it's... Uh, can be that uh, specific in a script but there was just sometimes where like there he was talking to the the eldest Lannister and he like squinted his eyes at one point so it like made me laugh like it was was almost like are you serious you're just being absurd and he was drunk at that point and yet he (laughs) no you can't help uh but like the guy I, I guess the description I would give of the performance like magnetic performance right like every time he's on screen I'm watching him He's got the varied facial tones. He's funny. He's, I don't know. I, I just like the actor and the, the character. He has a lot of Ned Stark-esque qualities where he would be good at ruling a house. So Ned was great at, at running his house, um, even though he was never intended to run his house. Uh, Ned Stark was a second son. 
but that there's just this extreme likability with some leadership. Like, it's not like he's just an idiot or, or just a hothead or things like that, but it's just neither of them were in any way well-suited for something like The Crown. They just can't be at that level. But you can't help but like them, I think. I agree. Well, now Renera is feeling the pressure that Viserys felt last season. It's time to do your duty. Viserys getting frustrated that she's not... Last episode. What did I say? Season. Oh, yeah. Last episode, sorry. Did feel like it was a whole <laughs> season that went by, though. Viserys is getting frustrated that... Like he says, even I am not above duty and everything because he didn't want to get married or at least didn't want to get married as soon as he did when people started pressuring him. But now she's starting to feel the pressure. So, <laughs> so he goes over to visit the Lannisters who are just, these are not the Lannisters we know. These, it's Sometimes I, I feel like I'm in like um, bizarro world. We, we see these like not as attractive actors and not as uh, strong looking. Like they had an older Lannister, but he didn't look tough like Tywin. And they had this guy who was like, no Jamie. But know? isn't that kind of the impetus for Tywin that there was just a series of not very great Lannisters and, and he really gave the rest of the realm something to think about when they hear the name Lannister. Yeah. It was either his dad or his brother, Tytos or somebody, somebody was weak and it really bothered Tywin. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were two of them. So it looks that they're they're identical twins, and one of them looks to have replaced, I think, Lord Corliss's position. He was the one who came in um, at the near the beginning of the episode. Oh, so that guy was the master of ships. That is what I'm led to believe because he's the one saying we have an update about this, and it's not good. And that's when Viserys is like, I'm just trying to have a party and celebrate here. I don't want to deal with this. And he must be like the twin that's born like two minutes later kind of thing. Um, All right. Yeah. And then his brother is the one that's housed that just... (laughs) The actor portrayed him well. You see them both sitting at the table at the feast. Um, Yeah, no, I saw that they were twins. I didn't catch that he was Master Ships. Either way, he's delivering news. (laughs) Yeah, like Viserys is like... I didn't come here to get suffocated by all this fucking politicking, you know, which is, yeah, it's got to be exhausting. But it I is th- his job, but, you know, everyone breaks after a while. But I think this is a demonstration of some of the naivete of Viserys with a lot of this. It's almost like he's surprised that the entire realm has been expecting for two years that his son is going to ascend the throne. Well, and he promises that that's not going to happen. So he promised her twice last episode, and then this episode he he says it again. After he wavers. You can see him really wavering there, and he talks about that dream he had. But he he was naive in in trying to set up Rhaenyra with this marriage stuff. Everybody else was doing it, assuming that she wouldn't be heir. And so he totally missed why everybody's trying to get her hand here, because they're not really expecting them to be married to the to the queen but as far as the main thrust of the story is that we're seeing that he is standing by his decision and what potential consequences there's going to be for that because yeah you're right all everyone who's proposing marriage just thinks that she's now going to be pushed down to a regular powerful targaryen not future queen but i feel like i'm hearing some of the pieces fall into place here of that's all fine and dandy when Viserys is alive but the moment he dies, and now that he at least has one son, we got to see who this other kid is, um, if that's another son. But if he's got two sons lined up here and Viserys dies, now it comes down to whoever the realm decides. And they clearly do not want Rhaenyra. Yeah, that does seem to be where the story might be gone. <laughs> Which Rhaenys was 100% correct about last episode, where she's like, I'm going to tell you what no one else will. 
This is a, a gripe for me in terms of the time jumping. I thought that they could have shown us a little bit of the time where uh, Alicent and, and Viserys had their first son, of what it was like when we now know he's got his first son. Right. And, and what Rhaenyra went through, what with Viserys, Otto Hightower, I think that could have been a little bit interesting to see. But instead, we've totally fast forward and we have no idea where Rhaenyra's Rhaenyra has been with all of this for two years. And and all we can really guess is that she's been estranged from her best friend and her father for two years, ever since the ending of last episode. Well, we can see that she, like everybody else, assumes she's going to get supplanted. And she's kind of been stewing in that. Or <clears throat> she's been stewing because she feels betrayed by her father and her best friend. And keep in mind, all in the same six-month span... She loses her mother, she uses her younger brother, and then she essentially loses her father and her best friend. She loses every... And she loses Damon. So she loses everybody in less than a year. Well, and she even says something to that effect. There's nobody here for me or whatever she said. But I think she was also referring to the realm. None of them were there for her. And she even starts to walk through that party and nobody is trying to ingratiate themselves with the air. They're acting like she... Yeah, and that woman, red wine woman... She spoke a little boldly mm-hmm. to the the princess and to everybody around. So I guess just related to that, what we can take is that no fences were mended at all here. And you see a little bit in the beginning here of we know who has more power, the queen or the heir to be, and it's the queen. And Alicent does pull it, um, her power, to get Rhaenyra to, to come to the party. It's unfortunate, but like uh, you, you can see, though, that like nothing has changed. It's, it's Yeah, nothing has changed, at least at the beginning of this episode. But now that Viserys has doubled down, saying he's not going to supplant her, I don't know. Maybe we'll see things shift. It looked like a moment of connection where they're meeting by the small council table, Viserys and Rhaenyra, where he says this, that he doesn't plan to do it. And I think what Rhaenyra has always wanted was to be important enough to her dad. More than ruling. We talked about this with the first episode. At least as of this point. She's 17. Yeah. But again, I can see maybe some things fall into place here of what might be coming. You can see some things with Alicent here where she's not all one side in this episode. Yeah, she was kind in her considerations. She just seems like a pretty nice person who's got to play the game to some extent. But she's not pure manipulative. Right. Yeah. She She's not... Like her father, at least as of right now. <laughs> the other thing this episode did was introduce us to Lenor Valerian, who seemed to have aged a lot more than two years since the brief glimpse that we got of him in the first episode. But he is another dragon rider, teenager, who is, we can see, helping with the battles, like not just fighting, but helping plan the battles and everything. So this is Corliss's son, who. Oh, okay, great number three for me here, or four. How is he a dragon rider? Well, his mom is a Targaryen. I wish they could have set this up, though, and let us know a little bit that there are dragons with his mom, that she is teaching her kids. Well, when they when they first see the them talking about the battles or whatever, they, they mention dragons, plural. I almost thought that it was going to be Daemon and then a dragon without a rider, kind of like how Danny had two spare dragons. To be honest, um, I assume that. So Lanor is a dragon rider. He's half Targaryen from his mom's side. And he's, yeah, that introduces a whole new big element here, which I basically feel like this show, that that's why this basic episode happened, was even though it was very short, they just wanted to introduce this other character. And 
Viserys, one good, honest advisor, it seems, strong, suggests that Rhaenyra marries this guy. And then we see that he is handsome, capable, fighter guy. So they introduce that for the next time jump or whatever. Well, and, and we also see that Strong remains someone who gives the unencumbered opinion. And Viserys kind of even loses sight of that for a moment where he's like, let me guess, you're going to recommend your own son, blah, blah. And he's like, honored, but no. I'm going to go back and say this again. I think he recognizes that the realm is getting fractured with the way things are going, but there's still a way to salvage it. The limited number of really good mates, you would have thought that Viserys would have thought of Leonor, considering he jumped age 10 years in the last two. Seems like an obvious obvious choice now that we've been introduced to him. But yeah, your main point is that, yeah, Strong does seem to be a good, honest advisor. We do see that he does have his own son that is potential candidate, I suppose. Um, uh, only because Strong is on the small council. But like what Viserys is, is kind of alluding to here is that everybody is just always looking out for themselves, which tells us that Viserys is aware that other people do this, including his hand. Yeah. So what that kind of tells me, and, and he ends up saying it at the end here with his discussion with Rhaenyra that we can get into more with our deep dive, but he, he chose to marry by choice for the first time here. Um, even though he did really love her mother and stuff, like that was set up. It's like he got lucky with the first one uh, and now yeah. he's choosing. Yeah, and, and he loved her, yep. um, but he, he chose for what he, like he liked Allison. He enjoyed her company. If he had to marry again, he wanted to marry someone that he wanted to be with, not for, or, well, primarily that. It's not like she was a horrible choice um, in the other regards. But Well, then he tells Renera to go find, find the person. And she did spend a decent amount of episode hanging out with a handsome young lad. There were some looks. And the fact that he gave in to her as much as he did, I think, is noteworthy. He could have insisted, we go back now. And he, he just kind of says it. We should probably go back. And the next thing we know, all his armor's off and they're sitting by a fire. <laughs> <laughs> now, the King's Guard have vows, right? Like, he is... They're like Jedi, right? He's never supposed to get married and stuff like that? Yes, because when Jamie joined, Tywin was furious because he's like, you're my heir. I need you to continue the line. And, and that's where Jamie's like, well, you got Tyrion. We also see, though, where he tells her, everything I have, everything my family has is because of the power that you have. So, Right. She rose him up past what he could have expected in life. All right. And then um, the, the last area I have to talk about, and for our new listeners, we do two podcasts. We do a quick overview, which is this one, and then we do a deep dive a few days later. But I guess the last thing I'll say is that Damon um, was proving himself to be a loser, basically, but then when he found out that the king was going to support him, you know, got the motivation he got, but also that the king was willing to support him, says something too. So there's, there's two things there. Damon was not happy about it, but Viserys is, um, doesn't want him to lose. Oh, and still very much cares about Damon. Like that, that still his big brother. That, that he yeah. sent was very sweet and caring. And I actually think what pisses Damon off so much with that when he starts beating the messenger <laughs> is that he really needed this war as a chance to prove himself. And if the series ends up sending in people, he didn't prove anything except for how weak he is right. and incapable. I, I do think he cares about his brother's love. 
We introduced a new segment last week, which is who's winning and who's losing the Game of Thrones. This episode is kind of hard to hard to make that judgment. There wasn't a lot of playing of the the politicking. Um, well, I guess there was, but it's it's hard to say if anyone ranked. But last week you picked as winning Corliss and as losing Viserys, and I picked last week as winning. Did I pick Hightower? You, you picked the Hightowers. So. Yeah, and losing Viserys. So. <sighs> This week, I'm going to pick winning, I guess, Damon, because he pulled it out his ass, and maybe he did earn the respect he's looking for. Um, or maybe even Viserys, because despite laying all the the seeds for future problems, he did get the son he wanted, and he's, I don't know, <laughs> it's a tough one. And then losing, I guess, is going to be Hightowers now, because Otto is really wants his grandson to be recognized as the heir and that's not happening or at least not happening yet so yeah i i think who i would put is losing for this episode is is otto uh he overplayed um at least as of right now so we're only taking it for the episode um and like he overplayed his hand <laughs> um, <laughs> <Da-dum-bum>. <laughs> uh, and so I, I have him as a loser but i think allison did a pretty decent job still so I definitely, I, you said high towers. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think Allison did a good job about being wife, about still trying to have some sort of relationship. She doesn't throw Rhaenyra under the bus, um, but she's also managing a lot of the women. And that's its own battlefield, I feel like, with all the rumors and the, the talking, um, what do you call it, the knitting circle gossip. Yeah. Um, she's managing all of that. She was managing a lot of strong personalities here of her father, her husband, and Rhaenyra. So I actually think that she was doing a decent job while also being about ready to give birth again with a two-year-old son. So basically, she's just getting knocked up around the clock here. And I don't think, as we saw in the first episode, it's super easy to be pregnant in this day and age. Um, So I give her some props there. Um, So Alicent is up there for me. Um, And then I guess Viserys, because... He's got all these people clucking at him. He's trying to manage his daughter that, you know, there's all that friction there. He's got the whole issue in the stepstones and finally pulls the trigger and I think makes the right decision to go help. And so he finally did what he was hesitant to do all this time. Um, he does find a way to connect with Rhaenyra. So he, he's got all this politicking going on, but it gets to him in terms of it annoys him, but it doesn't get to him where he falls victim to it. And he even listens to Lord Strong when he gives his opinion and he could have just been like, go away. Uh, and so I feel like him kind of holding off all the wolves deserves some credit this time. Thanks for listening. We'll do our deep dive in a few days.